Hey guys, what is up? Welcome to the Find Your Edge podcast. I'm your host, Michael. I'm a registered dietitian and sports nutritionist, and I'm talking with athletes and experts about the key actionable things you can do to improve your health and performance. So let's jump right in. What is up? Welcome back to the Find Your Edge podcast. I am here with a very special guest today, Sid Cardoso Jr., owner of Inside Out Sports. Uh, I've worked with Sid for, gosh, it's probably been the last nine years over at Inside Out Sports. So I'm really excited to have you here today. I mean, I think you're truly a wealth of knowledge. I think you'd be hard pressed to find somebody, A, more knowledgeable, but also be more passionate about triathlon than, than Sid is. So I'm really excited to have, have you here today, Sid. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. <laughs> so can you tell us like a little bit more about yourself and kind of your triathlon journey, how you got into triathlon? Was it like something you just always knew you wanted to do? Was there kind of like some other entrance into the sport? No. So um, I actually got into the sport relatively early, even by today's standards. Um, I was just, I guess, a, a, just a brief background. I was born in Brazil in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I um, lived there until I was 10 years old, and then my dad got moved to the U.S. We lived here for two years and then went back to Brazil, back to Rio. And um, as a kid, I played a lot of soccer. I did year-round swimming, uh, played basketball, like a lot of the, the, the different sports. And then in high school, I, that's when I first heard about this thing called triathlons. And one of my PE teachers at the time did this one triathlon that was in Rio at the time. And it was um, somewhere between the distance between like an Olympic distance and a half Ironman. And, um, and it was one of those things that because it was just once a year, it was kind of a big thing. And, and I remember hearing about it and seeing it and then talking to him. And, and he was like, yeah, man, you know, you're a good athlete. You should give it a try. And I was like, okay, you know, this sounds kind of cool. And, um, so I would, that was 1985, and I was 16 years old. So that's when I did my first triathlon. That's so and, funny. That's so crazy, too, to think that you, like, got into it in high school, because I don't know a single high schooler that, like, did triathlon. No, exactly. But, um, but I think that uh, just having done a bunch of different sports, and I, I, I always – I had swam for a bunch of years, and I liked swimming. But I was, um, I think I had reached a point where you're either not good enough or you're, or you're just sick of all those uh, laps in the pool. <laughs> and, um, and I did run cross country in high school and I liked that. But um, I guess, I, you know, you're just looking for something different. Yeah. And, and it, wasn't, it wasn't like I got into this saying, hey, I'm sold. I'm going to do triathlons. I'm a triathlete. It was sort of, let me do this one challenge, just train for you know, three or four months, do it, and then I'll decide what to do next. And, and I think the thing that was really apparent to me was that um, I really liked to uh, bike and to cycle. And I think everybody kind of has one sport or something that it appeals to them more, either because you're more suited or you're better or it fits your temperament or it fits your body or whatever body style. And, and cycling was kind of like that. And and I really enjoyed it, and um, and I still enjoy swimming and running too. But um, but then I was kind of like, yeah, maybe I kind of found what I what I want to do next. And yeah. I think the challenge with try the cool thing about triathlons and some endurance events like that is that once you finish, it's sort of like now what? 
Yeah. You know, do I want to go back to normal life or do I want to do the next step, which is, can I go farther? Can I go faster? Can I beat more people? And, and one thing leads to another, you know, and 40 years, almost 40 years later, here I am. Yeah. I think that's one of the like really interesting things about triathlon and like a lot of people get into it. It sounds like that way it's, it start, it starts off as I'm just doing this as a challenge. Like I'm doing a sprint because somebody challenged me or somebody else did it. And then it turns into going to longer and longer distances. And like, I mean, that's where the Ironman comes in, you know, I mean, this is incredibly difficult, long distance. And then people are doing like ultra Ironmans and like multiple Ironmans on multiple days kind of thing. And it's just like, people are always looking for that next step after that. Yeah, that, that was exactly like that. And it doesn't necessarily need to be distance uh, based. It can be just going faster. And I think at the time that that's what it was for me. It's like, okay, you know, I didn't do so bad. I didn't do great, but um, <laughs> I trained for what, three, four months. If I train a little bit more, I can get faster. Yeah. And, um, and that was the appeal. And, um, and, and I think it's also because it's a great sport. You know, my, my friend Dan Enfield said one time is that triathlon really is a great sport because it combines three great sports. So it's even better. Yeah. And, um, and it's something that it's incredibly rewarding. And, and once you get a little bit of taste of it, I think that to a lot of people, you, you just want a little bit more. Yeah, I think one of the like really cool things that I really admire about triathlon, and I mean, anybody that's listened to the podcast and kind of gone back to some of our early episodes knows that I'm not a triathlete. Um, I used to race bikes, then ran for a while. So I never like tied all of it together or, or put swimming in the mix. But I think that's one of the really cool things about it is it's just variety automatically built into the training because you are kind of juggling those three sports. It keeps you, I think, from getting too burned out on any one of the sports you know if you're just a runner or just a cyclist like that's a lot of one activity for sure for me i think that's that was one of the instant appeals is that um it's always new you're always doing something different and you're kind of hanging out with slightly different people on the three sports and it's um and there's the variety aspect and there's probably also the the health aspect that that I think promotes longevity, that there isn't as much repetition in that one sport. You know, it's, um, I think that we're seeing, a, we see at the store a lot of runners get into triathlons late in life because of injuries, right? Yeah. And maybe in my case, because I was cross training at such an early age, I've had very few injuries throughout my, I guess, athletic career. Yeah. So that's kind of something I wanted to get into as well. How do you have any grasp on how many races of all the different sorts you've done across the years? I don't. I I actually stopped counting. And the the only thing that I sort of count, which even that I'm not 100% sure, I'm sorry to admit, is, is Ironmans. And I think that number is 32. And um, I keep saying that I'm going to go back and count. But... But I, I guess I haven't because it was never about quantity. It was yeah. never about, let me see how many I can do. Let me do 200 races in a year. Or let me do 200, you know, races in a lifetime. It, it's just, um, I guess it's just pursuing different challenges at different stages in my life. And yes, I went through some years where I did three Ironmans in one year. But then I went through some periods where I didn't do an Ironman for two or three or four years. But I guess Ironman, because it's such a, um, a marking and I, I guess, uh, and also such a hard race, I kind of have counted that and I'm pretty sure that I've done 32. 
Wow. Um, so, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up too. It's just like the, the different challenges. So, I mean, that's one of the things that I've absorbed kind of being at inside out sports, you know, I mean, there's all the, the race across America, like memorabilia posters, stuff like that up. Um, so can you talk about like that or some of the like really cool running races you've done, just like other things outside of the Ironmans? Yeah, I think that the great thing too about our sport is that there is the big iconic races like Ironman and like Hawaii Ironman and Boston Marathon um, that everybody sees or hears about it or wants to do. But there's also numerous other races that are sort of like the grassroots underground races that to me are just as appealing. And, and I think that brings you brings me back a little bit to what it was like in the beginning because now or at least the last few years triathlon has kind of gone mainstream but um but way back when you know most of the races that i was doing it was like 200 300 people if that and um in ironmans there was only one ironman in the entire world and then two um but going back to your question so there's races like race across america that a friend of mine when i was in college did it and he did it as a team and he told me about it and I was like, man, this is incredibly cool. You know, it's uh, it's sort of like going back to wacky races, you know. It's like you start in, in Irvine, and in our case, you start in Irvine, and you finish in, California, in um, Savannah, and you don't stop. You stop when you want to. You know, you, you sleep if you want to, but the clock is ticking. And there's all the logistics about it. And back then, they just give you this big, fat uh, route book that you had to follow with like a Rand McNally map, you know, and it was just, and you're weaving your way across the U.S. 2,900 miles and on a bike with um, an RV and a van following you. And, and it was a, it was an incredible experience. I mean, I still, when I talk about it, I still kind of get goosebumps and, you know, part of me still wants to do it again. It's a, it's a big financial time commitment and etc so there are some definitely some some barriers to doing it every year but um but it was it was this experience that it's forever in my mind and i would that i would love to do it again yeah that's so cool that's such i mean such a unique race i mean how big was the team for that so the, the we did it as a team which was a four-person team so okay. you're doing it a relay and that it's, it adds, it makes it a little bit, um, I guess, more doable distance-wise, but it also adds a bunch of challenges. And, and, and the, the first challenge is just the logistics uh, because you have, so we had, you know, four riders and then we had um, three teams of drivers because somebody's got to drive um, three vehicles. So we had two vans and an RV. And then you have a mechanic and a, you know, massage therapist cook all around so you're talking about 12 people but the, wow. the the challenge that was also crazy is that when you do it as a team it's not about covering the distance it's about covering the distance as fast as you can yeah so we did it in in five days in six hours so that's um that's averaging you know 22 miles an hour pretty much yeah and, and i had visions before the race i remember of just like riding a across this beautiful country and admiring the landscape and thinking man this is just so cool and it was nothing like that <laughs> get on your bike and ride with your head down as fast as you can for 20 miles and then you know the next guy does it and then you sit out for two rotations and then you're back in 
yeah. and sleeping three or four hours a day in an RV. So it was it was super super hard. Yeah. But, but again, it was um, it was an experience that I'll never forget. Yeah. So how what length legs did you guys um, do? Like, how did you decide how long you're going to ride? Uh, yeah, it, it, you kind of we had kind of decided that we were going to ride 20 to 25 mile time trials. And it's actually, we cut that shorter because the intensity was so great. And it's, it's crazy to think that you're in a 3000 mile race. And we were, we, I did it twice and then finished second one year and third the other year. And it's uh, you finish second by like less than an hour. Um, so you're in a head to head competition. So every minute kind of counts. So we actually dropped the distance to 15 miles. So we were basically doing 15 to 20 mile time trials at a time. So it's kind of, more or less 45 minutes on and then an hour and a half off with one person sleeping and we rotated every 16 hours so every so you're getting four hours of sleep every 16 hours wow and i'm not i'm still not sure that that's the best way i think that uh if i did it again i would spend some time analyzing the the, the data from the last you know 15 years to see what other teams have done yeah to see if there's a better way and we even tried, you know, putting two men on the road at the same time to ride faster, but then you burn two, two guys at the same time. Yeah, so that was you, worse. you get and half the amount of rest. Faster. <laughs> yeah, after three days, you know, after two days, it's about those who can keep on riding at 23 miles an hour. So. Yeah. But it was, wow. it's really interesting when you start to think about all the, uh, the logistics and challenges and trying to solve these problems. So it's not just how how fast you can ride, but it's how, how good your crew is because you got to keep dropping riders ahead and picking up riders. Um, the vehicles can't break down. The bike's got to keep functioning. The terrain is different. Um, I mean, it was, it's, it's, uh, I could probably spend, you know, two hours talking about it. Wow. That's crazy. Just like the logistics of it. And I think that is, I mean, when you think of races like that or like the appeal of like ultra marathons, this is no longer just about your fitness, like the amount of logistics and planning that has to go into it. So it's like, you have to get your, your planning dialed in, you have to have a good plan and good training program. But then it's like, I think that's the piece that really brings the interest to it, bring like mixes it up is the planning and logistics and doing something with that training. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not just one component. And I think that's the appeal, too, is that it, the, there's so many variables and there's so many things that you can improve upon that you finish the race and you have a list, you know, two pages long of things you can do better for next year. Yeah. Um, in the logistics and the training and the nutrition. I mean, the nutrition. Oh, God, we can we can talk for two days about the nutrition, what went right and what went wrong. Um, yeah. but it, it, it was, um, it's an incredibly cool race and it still goes on. And I think that, uh, um, unfortunately it's kind of remained a little bit, one of those, um, underground races. And I'm not sure that it's, uh, by desire from the organizers or it's because it's just so off the wall that it just doesn't have the commercial appeal. Yeah. I think, I mean, if you think about it, iron, an iron man is not too dissimilar from the perspective of there's like a lot of just logistics and planning your trip. I mean, a lot of, the Ironmans or half Ironmans are, are kind of destination to some degree. I mean, like you get some local people doing them, but largely you have a lot of people traveling in from elsewhere. Um, and so there's a lot of planning on individuals parts, planning, you know, your transition items, uh, nutrition, all of that stuff. So it's to a smaller scale, I think a similar kind of planning aspect. Um, but I think that's the thing with like Ram race across America is just the degree of logistics and 
I mean, it's, it's much more the burdens on the, the participants, you know, I mean, Iron Man for their races does a lot of logistics, like they'll put up aid stations and stuff and Ram doesn't really do that. Do they? No. And, and you got to give credit to Iron Man because I think that in um, Iron Man, they figured out that if they wanted to take, and, and some of it was just luck through the hit through the years, if you follow the, the history of Iron Man, but they, they kind of figured out that if it was going to go from a race where, you know, 12 crazy people were getting together in the big Island or in, um, in Oahu and just, uh, riding around the island to, to the mass participation of a thousand people and much beyond what it's like now that they had to, to do some infrastructure. And, and there are some, I think, people in the Ironman organization that really saw and said, hey, you know, we can do this. And they took on the challenge and they, they provided a great infrastructure for the everyday person, you know, for somebody to do this race without having to spend $20,000 and for somebody yeah. to do the race uh, with the um, infrastructure that, that you have from a regular person and and not necessarily from a bike shop and so forth. So, yeah, but, but, but I think the appeal is still the same. You're still combining, like you said, you're still combining the endurance aspect with the, um, the logistical aspect. And I think to be successful, you have to be kind of good at both. Yeah. And being able to, like, like you said, crunch the data, because I'm sure, you know, teams or individuals that continue to do races like that year after year are probably crunching the data of other teams to see what's worked for other people, to see how they can improve their own process. And so I think, I mean, it's just yet another thing on top of just the training program, you know? Yeah. And like a lot of sports, including Ironmans, if you look at the solo uh, division. They've had a lot of the, the winners are multiple year winners, just yeah. like it is in Ironman and just like it is in a lot of sports is, is, is those who are who figure it out, right? They figure it out how to train. They figure it out how to push through the difficult parts. They figure out the logistics. So you do have those individuals who win two, three, four, five years. That's crazy. So would you say that's probably like one of your favorite races you've ever done? Yeah, I would. I mean, I think it's one of the most memorable for sure. But um, but the the cost and the logistical challenge is so great that I think that puts it on on a different level. Where that's the kind of thing you do. I won't say once in a lifetime, but it's not the kind of race that I'm going to say, oh, you know, next year I'm going to go back and do it because yeah. it, it, it takes it, just the time and the family commitment and the financial commitment are are, are pretty significant. Um, but I think that there's other races. So just talking about, since uh, you know, what other races do I like? I mean, there's um, the um, uh, Mount Mitchell uh, Challenge, for example. That's a, a little bit, um, that's a, a running race that to me kind of embodies that kind of um, spirit, the endurance spirit, a little bit of the logistics, and it's a lot closer to home. So that's a 40-mile race starting in Black Mountain, 20 mile up to the top of Mitchell and 20 miles back. And um, I think that it, it's, uh, if, if you've been to Black Mountain, you know it's a great town. It's a, just a cool little town in the western part of the state. And to be able to run to the highest peak, uh, to the highest point east of the Mississippi and back in February, that's a pretty special challenge too. And I think that is the kind of race where you train for it. And it's, again, you have some of the same experiences where you do 10 things wrong the first year, 
and you go, man, if I go back, I'm going to do better. And then next year you may do uh, only nine things wrong. So you do a little bit better, but you keep coming back. I mean, I think I've done that race probably 11 times when I stopped counting and, wow. and I don't really look forward to running 40 miles anymore, <laughs> but that is the kind of race that would get me excited to make me want to run 40 miles again and train for it because yeah. it is that cool. Yeah. And again, going back to the challenge thing, it's just, I think that's, again, the cool thing about triathlon and like the endurance community is there's so many different challenges out there. I mean, outside of just finding new longer races and stuff like that. I mean, there's so many cool races around like that, where, you know, 40 miles at the beach isn't the same as doing 40 miles up Mount Mitchell and back. Um, so it presents its own unique challenge in that, that respect. And again, just being able to go all around and do all kinds of different races with different challenges. It's like new things to focus on again, it's something that helps keep it new, interesting and keeps you from getting like tired of it. Right. So that's the uh, great thing about our sport is that within the constraints of swimming, biking and running, there's still a lot of variation. So trail running is one that for me has been in incredibly important and incredibly rewarding. I mean, I don't know if I could uh, live anywhere else in the country because I live one mile from Umstead Park and, yeah. and I can run there two, three times a week. And, and I love it. And I think it keeps me it keeps things fresh and it keeps me healthy and, and, and it opens the door to doing races like that, like the, um, the Mitchell 40 miler. But there's also like within the, again, the constraints of the sport you can do. I mean, I love doing triathlons, but I also like riding. So there's some, during some times of the year and even now when there's no triathlons, I mean, I'm spending a lot more time on my bike and riding my road bike and enjoying that a lot more or, uh, you get on your, on your on my gravel bike and ride at, at Umstead Park or at the uh, HET or different places. So I think that keeps keeps things fresh. It's still swim, bike, and run, but um, but a little bit different than doing the same thing day after day, year after year. Yeah. And I think that's, again, one of the cool things about being around where we are is there's such variety. You've got good roads. You've got... Um, You've got umsteads, you've got like gravel roads like that. You've got trails, you've got, you know, the greenway system. So there's all kinds of things that even just when you look at just running or just biking, there's ways to mix it up there too. You know, it's not just, you know, the same six mile route that you do every single day for 20 years, you know. Yeah, that made, it made a big difference. I think it, when I look back and at the longevity, when you say, man, you've been doing this for, uh, almost 40 years for what is it since 85 so yeah um, I mean 35 years you go wow you know how boring is that but it, it's not and it doesn't feel boring because it's uh, it's uh, there's variety and I think that I look you know when you get up in the morning it's like I look forward to getting on my bike and going on a ride around these roads or I look forward to riding at Umstead or I look forward to going to a run so it's not it doesn't feel like Oh man, I got to get my, you know, three mile run in today because, you know, somebody told me to. So. Yeah. So, I mean, is there any structure to your training or do you kind of just do like whatever you feel like, like, what does that look like? I mean, and has that changed since you, I mean, in the last 20 years? It, it has, and it's changed over the years and it's evolved a little bit. And, uh, 
I think that having a coach is very, very important and very, very helpful. I was fortunate that when I started doing triathlons, at first I was just kind of training. And, and my dad was one of those guys, as you know, that it's like, if you're going to do this, you're going to do it right. So you got to get a coach. You can't just swing it. So he was, um, he not only encouraged me and helped pay for a coach when I was in high school. So I did have a coach when I was uh, starting out in he gave me structure. You learned the concept. So I think he was very influential in, in kind of giving me the basics of, of what to do. As well. At the time, he was giving me the very specific workouts. And I loved that. I loved it, the, the, the spreadsheets and, and knowing exactly what you're going to do. Uh, but that wasn't, it was less realistic once I came here for college. And then it was less realistic after that. But, but throughout the years, I've gone periods where, and then after a while, I decided that, hey, I want to do this. And then I started doing tri more Ironmans, and I was having pretty good races. But um, I, was, I, I was going like, you know, 10, 15, 10, 30, 10, around there. And, it's, um, and I knew I could go faster. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who was at the time a coach, a guy named Eric Bean. And he was looking at my times, and he was like, man, there is no reason why you shouldn't be going faster. And I was like, okay. And he was like, here, you know, let's get, let's get a group of guys together. Let's uh, put a, a little training group together and I'll coach you guys. And, and it was incredibly enlightening how the, the different, because that's when we started training more with power meters. That's when power meter training was starting and a lot more intensity and a lot less volume. Because in the, back then, it was like, how do you train for an Ironman? Oh, you ride 100 miles, and then you run three hours. Yeah. And I was like, okay. You know, and Eric saw that, and he was like, man, that's idiotic. There's a way better way to do it than, than the way you guys are doing. So, um, so he changed, and it was um, not as much distance, a lot more intensity, which was actually a lot harder. But again, very, very specific and analytical and looking at numbers and looking at Everything was based on power on the run and everything was based, based on pace on the, I mean, power on the bike and pace on the run. And, and I, I really enjoyed it. I think that that's, uh, again, doesn't, the thing about triathlons is that, that doesn't have to be one way all the time. But after some period, after having a period without structure, that was a, it, it was just very, very helpful to have that structure again. And I was craving it. And, and it was great. So I trained with him for three years and had some of the best races. That's when I started going sub 10 again. Yeah. And, um, and just changed somewhat, you know, fine tuned. It's not like I was doing everything wrong, but it fine tuned the, um, the, my um, training. And I think it gave it a little bit more purpose. So that's when we started talking about training with a purpose instead of just going out and, and, um, and piling on mileage over mileage. And so I did that for a while and then he went to med school and my life changed a little bit. Uh, so now I don't have a coach, but I'm also not racing as much. Yeah. But I think that if I, if I decide that I want to make another go at getting back to Hawaii, I would seriously consider a coach because I think that for, for big goals like that, a coach is very, very helpful. Even if it's not going to be, I mean, doesn't necessarily need to be somebody that I hire for 10 years, but for a two year period, uh, I think that there, there, everybody should should at one point or another train with a coach because they're going to learn a lot. Yeah. And we're fortunate that we have a lot of very good ones in the area. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was like one of my, 
I, I had a kind of similar journey into getting a coach. Like my first couple of years, I kind of just did whatever I did group rides and kind of did what people said and then just kind of went and rode hard sometimes during the week between group rides and stuff like that. Um, it just was not structured. It was kind of, I was really winging it. Um, and then I got a coach because they're like, I had the potential to be a pretty good bike racer. Um, and the thing I really enjoyed about the coaching was the lack of effort it took on my part in creating the training. Like I didn't have to think about what I needed to do that day. Like I could mindlessly just go out and be like, okay, here's the power numbers I'm hitting today. Yeah. And I, and I can tell you that with the coach, I did workouts that were way harder than I ever thought I could. You're hitting some power numbers that like before the workout, you look at it and you go, what the hell? I mean, you want me to do that, but then you do it. Yeah. But then I also said, had some workouts that I, some days that I went way easier than I would have gone hadn't I not had a coach to tell me, hey, take it easy tomorrow because you don't know what's coming the next few days. You know? Yeah, that's one of the so, things I've talked with a couple of coaches about, and I've talked with Brooks Dowdy from All Out Multisport about this as well, is I think that's like one of the really big things that coaches provide is like, it's not just telling you how to work out hard. Like a lot of people can go out and work out hard on their own. It's reining it in and telling you when to go easy and keeping you in check. Because I think as endurance athletes, like kind of the personality that's attracted is like the person that is competitive, wants to go hard. And so it's really easy for us to go out and go hard every day, but you don't get very far doing that. And so the coaches can like help you rein it in. I, I have this theory that most of triathletes, they're, they're, they're training completely wrong because it's, uh, it's like Eric used to say, they're the, the fittest slow people that they can be <laughs> because you're doing the majority of the training at 75% effort, right? Yeah. Because nobody goes 95 because that's way too hard. But then none of us want to go like less than that because it's way too easy. Yeah. So you do the entire training every week after week at somewhere between 75 and 85%. And you get incredibly fit, but you don't get fast. Yeah. So I, I agree with you is that it's, um, I mean, it's in our nature to go at that hard speed. And there's some benefits there. Don't get me wrong but you shouldn't spend the majority of your time in what we call the gray area. You know, yeah. it's like you get fast, you got to go up and then drop back down a little bit. Yeah. And that was one of the big things I learned from cycling is I had a coach that on my easy days between like hard workouts and stuff would always have me like my goal was for my average power to be less than hundred Watts, which is like super low. And I lived yeah. in like, I lived with my parents at the time and it was like kind of hilly area that they lived in. So like, I'd literally coast like 80% of the ride just to try to keep my power under a hundred Watts. And so it's like, I mean, I don't know if that really was the purpose was for me to spend less time pedaling, but, uh, and it's amazing how easily I forgot that lesson when I started running and like running, I just totally winged it on my own. And I was, did the exact thing you were talking about. I was running at 80%, 95% of the time. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, and even today, I mean, it's good to be reminded of some of the things you learned. And uh, I was talking to Dave Mack the other day before he, he moved, and he said he had he used to train with uh, with Eric Bean, and he was saying, like, how he pulled up all the spreadsheets from, uh, I don't know, you know, eight years ago when he was doing some of the workouts again and how much better he felt and about the intensity and the form sprints and so forth. So I, I think that it, 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 you learn the concepts and it's good to be reminded. And, and the concepts change a little bit too. So I, I, I think if you're gonna be in it for the long haul and if you, have, uh, if you wanna be competitive or if you have big goals, then um, do a little bit of research and 
it's it, it would be good to to find a coach who um who um I think complements your personality and your goals. Yeah, I think that's the other thing too is um some coaches kind of get like uh I don't know, I don't want to say bent out of shape or competitive or whatever, but like um I, I think you just have to remember like a coach is like a training partner, you know, you want your personalities to mesh, you want them to to really emphasize and provide the things that you need. Like if what you need is accountability, you don't want a coach that's super hands off. And alternatively, if you are totally good with your workouts and you know, you don't need someone that's super hands on and like up in your business. Um, so it's, I think that's one of the things is like, you may not find the perfect coach the first time. Um, but like, don't be scared to get a coach and like, just, you know, get to know them. Yeah. It's probably one of the best investments you're going to make as far as, um, getting faster. Yeah. But that's the hard thing is it's not glamorous, you know, I mean, getting a coach isn't as fun as like getting new wheels or getting a new helmet or whatever, but it can really make a big difference in addition to those other things. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll say about the coach too, I think it's important to figure out how, when you're looking for a coach, how important it is it to do for you to do group workouts or to train with other people, because I've seen it both ways. I think that there's a lot of coaches that provide group workouts and I find group workouts to be extremely beneficial, but I've also seen athletes who get a coach and then suddenly they can't train with anybody because their workouts don't match. And, and that can be no fun either. So I think you need to do a little bit of research and talk and, and um, so that the experience, so that you, increase the likelihood of uh, having a successful experience. I remember with my, in my case, this last time around, I mean, there was like five of us who got together and said, Hey, we want to, we want to train hard for an Ironman. And it was great because we had this group. I mean, we were not all doing the same race, but we're all doing more or less the same types of races. So we could train together and we could do the track workouts together and we could do the hard rides together. So, I think it is more fun, at least for me, if you're uh, training with a group. So if that's a priority, it's important to have that conversation. Yeah, I would agree with that. And like, that's the other thing is coaching is kind of like a two-way street. Like a lot of the coaching process depends on like the, the athlete's feedback. So like if there are group workouts that you like to do group rides, I mean, obviously there's less of that currently going on, but um, you know, post pandemic i'm hopeful we will get past this but yeah. post pandemic when like group riding and group runs start back up if those are things that you want to do that's like something where you tell your coach hey these are things i want to integrate into my training because one of the things i saw in cycling was people using their workouts as an excuse not to go hard with a group yeah i think yeah that's um again that's a step back i think so yeah. in my case i remember that the the Wednesday ride was part of the week, was part of the workout because it was, so we shifted the week around so that that day I knew I would go harder than any other day of the week uh, because I was riding with other people. So uh, I don't know, you know, I think in running away from hard workouts is, is not the way to get faster. Yeah. And one of the things I've kind of noticed, I, I mean, with you, with a lot of other people who have been around the sport for a long time is not necessarily putting yourself in a box. Like I think people have a tendency to say, I'm a triathlete, I do Ironmans. And so then that's all they do. They don't do running races. They don't go out and venture into cycling races or they don't venture into these other challenges that can like help keep things fun and interesting. Um, Or, you know, like cyclists, they're 
solely focused on road cycling or criteriums or road races. And so like, that's what they're fixated on and they put themselves in that box and they're not willing to venture outside of that. And I think, you know, it, it's losing the forest for the trees. You know, you get so focused on that, that you're missing the longevity of the sport. And like, I don't know, maybe this is speculation, but I think that's maybe one of the things that's really contributed to you being able to be such a high level endurance athlete for so long is, is just being willing to do different things and mix it up. And like, just because you're, you do triathlons doesn't mean that, like you said, you have to do an Ironman or multiple Ironmans every year. You can take a year off and do some cycling races or do some running races and then come back to a triathlon in a couple of years. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that if you're, um, if you're a triathlete, I mean, you're by default a swimmer and a cyclist and a runner, right? So it doesn't necessarily have to be. I never saw myself as, as just somebody who rides a tri-bike. Yes, for the longest time, I mean, I rode a tri-bike because if I'm training for an Ironman and I got to ride, you know, 100 miles on, on narrow bars, then that's what I'm going to ride. But, um, but like you look at this time at the, you know, during the pandemic, I've really, really enjoyed riding my road bike, mostly with cyclists who um, aren't, you know, riding with, with tri bikes. And I think that uh, to me, I've tried to kind of promote that even with the store and our rides is that I think one of the things that always made our group rides different is that it doesn't matter whether you're a triathlete or a cyclist, everybody's welcome. Everybody can ride. There's none of this that, hey, uh, you know, we don't, want, we don't want triathletes here. This is just for triathletes. We don't want roadies. And I think that's one of the reasons why people like those rides is because it was fast and it was, uh, um, you could mingle with different people. And that's fun. I mean, my, if we, when we get done with this pandemic, you know, I, I swim, I'm fortunate that my wife works at SAS. So I swim at lunchtime with a SAS group that um, swims at a sort of like a master's workout. And there's like two of us that are triathletes. And then there's like 12 that are not, that are swimmers. And yeah, they kick our butts, but it's um, but it's it's much more fun to to interact with different people. And yeah, we do IMs and we do different things that we probably wouldn't do if it was just triathletes. But but like you said, that's that's what keeps it fun. That's what makes it more interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the other thing too is that that brings some variety and it brings a different perspective to your training too. And I think it's one of the things that allows you to to maybe excel is getting those different viewpoints. I mean you know, doing some of the rides that you do during the week, you ride with just cyclists. So you're getting challenged on the bike by these people who are like really fast, strong cyclists. And then you'll go into a, a swim where you're surrounded by just swimmers. And so you're challenging yourself. You're not, and again, it, it exposes you to a variety of people too. But um, I mean, you look at some top athletes in the world and um, I mean, like one that, that comes to mind is Matt Frazier, who's the CrossFit Games, like world champion multiple years in a row. And one of the things he's talked about in an interview is he wanted to get better at running. So he went out and found runners. He didn't start running with other CrossFit athletes. Yeah. He went out and found like a high school, like cross country team to run with and they kicked his butt, but it made him get better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you would find the same thing with Olympic triathletes. I mean, most of them are running with runners and swimming with swimmers. And, and riding with cyclists because that's how they're going to get faster. Yeah. But besides getting faster, it's like you said, there's also the, the I think, the positive of interacting with different people, of different, interacting with people who have a slightly different outlook 
on, on what we do. And sure, they make fun of triathletes a little bit here and there for what we wear and, um, and all that stuff. But it's okay. You know, it's, yeah. uh, I think it keeps life interesting. Yeah. And that was one of the things that was cool to me when I started doing like the inside out sports shop rides on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays was I hadn't trained with triathletes at all. And so it exposed me to like people of a different background, people with different interests, but like there was still some commonality. We all liked riding our bikes. Um, and so it was just, I mean, it was such a cool environment. You get to learn about other people, like the things they're doing. Cause to me, like, I didn't know anything about triathlon when I started that. And so you get to learn a lot and I mean, you gain a whole new respect for people doing something a little bit different. Like, I think it reminds you that your way is not the only way for sure. Yeah. Um, so over the years, have you had any like extended periods that you've had to take away from your training? I know you kind of talked about like just taking years away from Ironmans or triathlon and because of other challenges that you wanted to do, but like, have you had any serious injuries over the years? Uh, not really any serious injuries. Probably the most time I took off was um, one year I had um, a metatarsal that um, had to be shortened and repaired on my left foot. So I, I had a, it was a, you know, one of those fairly major surgeries that um, they, that I had to have. And well, I, I guess I said I didn't have to have, but it got to be so painful where I couldn't only run for 30 minutes. And you go to a doctor and he says, why, why, why do you want to run for more than 30 minutes? And I was like, well, okay, let me find another doctor <laughs> to have a different answer. And um, so I had that repaired and it was probably, I mean, it was like a three month, you know, non, non weight bearing thing. And then another three months. So that was the longest that I, that I took off. But, uh, but it's, 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 it's part of, um, it, it comes with the territory. I mean, I think everybody's going to have injuries and, and it was the best thing I did because it, it repaired the problem. Yeah, it was kind of hard coming back, but, um, but at least it kind of solved the problem and I could get on with my life. And I'd say it was like a year later, I was doing Ironman Lake Placid. So yeah. I've had uh, little things like that. Well, that was, um, I mean, I won't say a little thing, but it's, uh, I guess in the, when you compare it to other types of injuries, it's not something that, that was debilitating whether it put my whole career at risk. So I've had different injuries like that. And I've had the, you know, the tight hamstrings, the pulled hamstrings, and I had very tight hamstrings, but nothing that really uh, prevented me from, from um, staying away very long. And, and going back to what we've been talking about, it seems to be the theme is that, okay, so if I put, whenever I pulled a hamstring, I couldn't run, but I could swim and I could bike. So at least I could keep active and for my sanity, that made a huge difference yeah. and probably for recovery too. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think just, you know, even from like the perspective of not losing a lot of the fitness you had, it allows you to still be active, you know, whereas if you think of a runner, if they get injured and can't run, then like they have to pick up something new instead of just like kind of shifting their focus to something they were already doing. Um, so, I mean, would you say that's like one of the big, big things that's allowed you to train so consistently for so long? Do you have any other secrets? So, so yeah, I think that that's, that's one of them, because like you said, if, if somebody told me, Hey, you can't run for the next three months for whatever reason you go, okay, this sucks, but it doesn't suck that bad. I can ride my bike. And it's not like you, like you said, it's not like a different skill. It's not something you don't have to relearn. You don't have to um, find new friends. You don't have to find new groups. Um, so it's, um, 
it, that, that for sure, I think provides a lot. I mean, that, that helped with the longevity. Um, but also, like I said, I think the variety and the different intensity, even though I train year round, I don't train year round with the same intensity. And I think that's another sometimes mistake that people make that you train every week of the year with the same schedule and the same intensity. And where you're doing even like, a, a, you know, the Wednesday ride, it shouldn't be the same intensity in December as you do in May. Yeah. So I think that giving that um, sort of like ebb and flow and ups and downs kind of help because during the winter, I, I, de I may decrease intensity a little bit. I may ride the cross bike a little bit more. I'm not doing six hour rides. So you do that so that by the time the spring comes around, you want to be in a fairly lean and fit enough to be able to pick it up. But you also want to have that feeling like, man, I'm looking forward to those three hour rides and to those four hour rides and not kind of going, oh God, here we go. Now I got to do a four hour ride. So I think that, that allowing for those changes throughout the year in training make a big difference because your body kind of, your body and mind, they need, they need the period, the recovery period, and they need that time to kind of, you know, relax and do other things. And, and also, so one of the things I haven't said is that my life doesn't revolve around training. So my training kind of revolves around life. So there's been a lot of periods through the years where I train more or less depending on what the family life and work schedule were like. So, I mean, like the last few years, you know, my son was playing a lot of soccer. And in the fall, that's when it was high school soccer. In the spring, it was uh, uh, club soccer. And, and I loved that. And I wanted to travel and be with him as much as possible. So training took a little bit of a backseat. And, and it was sort of like you train when you can. Not, I mean, I'm not going to not do something with my daughter's, daughters or my son because I want to go to a, to a six hour ride. So it's like, okay, I'll start a little bit earlier and go a little bit shorter and, um, and still do the other stuff. So I think that the training, the longevity is based also on how you adjust the training to your life and yeah. that means professional life. And that means, um, it means personal life because I mean, triathletes and cyclists are pretty self-centered. I mean, it's all about us. It's about yeah. our mileage. It's about our training. It's about this and it's about that. And I think sometimes we lose perspective on on what it does to everybody else around you. And, yeah. and I never wanted to be that guy. And I think that's one of the things too is, is, I mean, to your point, it's not sustainable to be only triathlon. There's nothing else about you. You have no hobbies. You don't take care of your house. You don't spend time with your family. Like that's not sustainable. You can only keep that up for so long until something gives. And it's like, you're going to get fired from your job because you're not doing a good job or your family's going to kick you out because you never see them or something's going to happen. Um, and so I, I think that is one of the things is just keeping in mind the bigger thing, like bigger picture and, and having that like bigger perspective. Um, because you, you see it a lot. I mean, people put everything else on, on the back burner to focus on triathlon and like, there's no career in triathlon for most people. I mean, you have to be exceptional to, to really make money at it. And so for everybody else, it, at the end of the day, it's for fun. 
Um, so if you're yeah, and, and you can do both, you know, you can't be a, a, a more all around person. That's the thing is that it doesn't necessarily have to be all or nothing, especially at our level. But I think that anybody can be a, a competitive, committed athlete and still be a, a, a good family person and still be a, a, a good employee at work. So it's, it's not easy, but I think it's, it's an achievable balance. And I would say that's probably been one of my biggest goals in life is to be able to, to, um, to balance that. And I, I mean, I'm not sure I, I was perfect, but I think I've done a decent enough job and, and you continue to fine tune it and you train a little bit more when you can and you train, you know, a little bit less or you don't train when you can't and you yeah. ride a little bit earlier, you know, you do, I mean, technology is great, right? Now we can do Zwift rides at 6.55 in the morning and get a good workout. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's one of the things that I, I really like is, is having that perspective. I mean, I think when you set out on this, like say this is something that you really want to do and endurance sports, triathlon, running, cycling is, is like a big priority for you. Like you have to put that in the perspective of your whole life. Like what are your life priorities? Is your life priority to be the very best runner you can be? Or is it, you know, and, and it may be, and if that's the case, then you are going to make some of those sacrifices. You're not going to spend as much time with family. You may not, you know, go out of town for the holidays because you need to be around your coach to train or whatever it is, if that's your priority. But I think it is taking that step back and looking at what your life priorities are. And if your life priority is, Hey, I want to be a good family member. I want to have a good, strong career, but I also want to do triathlon. Then like, maybe you shouldn't put hundred percent of your focus on triathlon. You got to, got to split that focus up a little bit. Yeah, and it goes back to the longevity too. Like you said, how how much is sustainable? I think that uh, we all have to figure that out. And at least for me, I I, I figured out that I, I can. I probably somebody says, "How much do you train?" And I say, and I usually say, "Not as much as I want to, but way more than most people." Yeah. <laughs> it's somewhere in the middle, right? And I have a, a, a an understanding wife, and but I've also I think I found a way to you know, find the right balance that works for us. Yeah. And I think, I think that looks different for everybody. You know, I mean, it, it depends on what your priorities are, um, the other like things that are pulling in your life. Um, so, you know, if your family is a little bit less understanding, then maybe you can put less time in, but um, it's all about finding everybody's balance is going to look different. And I think that's the thing is you can, you can make some sacrifices here and there to, find carve out a little bit of extra time. Like you said, starting a little bit earlier, you know, go to bed 30 minutes earlier, get up 30 minutes earlier and you got half an hour extra of training. Um, but then there's going to be other times where maybe the training suffers cause you've got other life commitments. And so that, like you said, the balance looks different for everybody and you just have to find where that balance point is for you. Right. So, um, I, I, that made me kind of think of something else that we were talking about earlier about how you had periods of like structured training and, and, you know, now you, you have a little bit less structured training. Are there any lessons that you kind of took from that structured training that you still apply? Yeah. So I think that the structure training, um, I think that there's some concepts that, that stay with you. And, and to me, one of it is that if you want to get faster, you got to put in the intensity. So just distance alone is not enough. So you got to figure the intensity out. And again, that's if you want to get faster. If you just enjoy riding, you know, no big deal. But, um, and, and that intensity can be done, and it can be done in a group ride, in a group setting. I mean, there's plenty of very fast group rides in the area where you're going to get all the intensity you want. 
It can be done on the trainer with Zwift or Trainer Road. There's a lot of different ways that you can do. So I think that um, you got to figure out the intensity. Uh, one long ride a week, I think that that gives you the, um, the, or one long day a week, it gives you that time in the saddle or that time running that you need for endurance. And I think that um, then the other thing is, is that you got to remember the, uh, to give yourself rest once in a while. So about if you're going to go hard, you know, go hard for about three weeks and then maybe take a week. And um, it doesn't mean not doing anything. It just means you back off the intensity a little bit. I think if you get to that point where you're looking at your bike and going, man, I don't want to ride. Uh, I mean, it's time for that, that, um, that slow week. Yeah. And I actually, I really enjoy, that's the thing people, a lot of times people talk to me and they say, oh, you ride hard all the time. And that's not true because they, only the group rides I ride hard yeah. because there's a, they don't see the, the three other rides where I just cruise and where I, ride, I may ride Umstead and, and um, just kind of cruising with earphones on and not worrying about how fast or how hard I'm riding. And I really enjoy those days. Those are like the sanity days. So I think, I mean, the concepts are you got to have the hard days, but you got to have the easy days. Yeah. You, need, yeah. you need some long days. You need some periods of intensity. But um, you also need every so many weeks a, a week off. Um, when it comes to running, running is the same thing. I mean, you need the intervals. You need the, um, the tempo runs. You, you're not going to get faster just by going, um, or at least I'm not going to get faster just, just by going and running six miles every day at the same pace. And so um, when I'm training for an Ironman, I will do the same thing. I'll have one long day a week. I'll have one really hard run a week. And then I'll have one or two easy days a week where I'm just cruising through Umstead at probably running 930 pace. Yeah. Um, so with, with rest recovery, is that something that like you're a little bit more rigid with? Cause like, you know, there's some people out there that there's one day every week that's off or, you know, every five days they have a day off. Like, is that, is that how you are? Or is it more kind of just listening to your body? You take a day if you need it. No, I have a basic schedule. I think I found a at least a basic schedule that works with my week. So uh, it's, it, I guess I still use a little bit of a concept of key workouts. So there's going to be some key workouts that I do. And sometimes those are dictated by the people you train with. So Wednesday is a key workout. So for me, when I'm training for triathlons, Thursday, that's the key workout running because that's when the, my, my running friends run at lunch. Monday was my Monday uh, hard swim. And then Saturday and Sunday were the long days. So if you do that, if you plug in those days, so guess what? You know, the only easy days I got, I can do are Tuesdays and Fridays. So those were the easier days. So you end up with like four fairly hard days, no, five fairly hard days, but two easy days in between. And, and the thing that becomes pretty apparent too, is that uh, if you don't take those easy days easy, then you get your butt kicked on the hard day. So yeah. Friday is a prime example where Friday is sort of like our easy ride day. We ride at lunch. And depending on who shows up, you know, that's a group. We do it as a group ride. But depends on who shows up, the, the Friday ride becomes kind of hard. So if the Friday hard becomes kind of hard, guess what? Then you suck on Saturday and Sunday because you went too hard on Saturday. So you kind of start figuring out that, okay, you know, if you're going to do a hard workout, you better make that count. Yeah. If you're going to make that count, then you have to kind of take it a little bit easier on the easy days. Yeah. So that's kind of how it works. I, and I don't take that many days off per se. 
where I do nothing. I will do it once in a while, but the days off are usually like a Tuesday, I'll do an easy run day at Umstead and 45 minutes in, or so. And then Friday, it's usually I'll spin in the morning and then I'll spin at lunch again, but hopefully not too hard. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's, it goes back to one of the things we talked about earlier of like going hard on your hard days and going easy on your easy days. You need to hit them with like the same focus. Like, I mean, have the same intention from the perspective of if you're going to go hard, make it count. But at the same time, if you're going to go easy, make the easy count, make the recovery count. Yeah. You need the discipline. I mean, you need to, and I, I think we all learn the hard way. I mean, you go too hard on the easy day and then you don't go hard enough on the hard day. Yeah. And then you fall into that pitfall again of being really fit, but slow. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, I mean, to some degree, you also have to trust that if you go hard on the hard days and go easy on the easy days, it'll work out. Like you will get more fit. And I think we have the tendency, like you said, if you go a little bit too hard on an easy day and then you can't quite go hard enough on a hard day, then we kind of start to bring ourselves back to that gray zone that you talked about. And then it's easy to get stuck there because you're heading into the next workout and you're like, well, I didn't feel as good as I should have. So I need to go harder. And so then all of a sudden everything sinks into that zone. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's human nature that on the easy day you go a little bit harder and you think, okay, I'm making a gain because I'm going harder, but it's not because you're actually setting yourself back because you're, you're hurting your future workouts or you're hurting your recovery. So it takes, it takes a different mindset and it takes some discipline, but uh, you kind of learn over the years and you learn what works and, and, and then it's just a matter of, of, um, of incorporating it into your week. Yeah. And that's one of the things we talk about from the nutrition perspective too, is having like the foresight, thinking about like that next workout is it's, I mean, that's like our big focus of recovery is a to like, you know, recover from that workout that we just did, but it's also to prep us for the next workout. And it's the same thing. I mean, you, when you're doing an easy workout, it's, you know, to recover from the last hard workout you did, but it's also to give yourself that rest to get ready for the next hard workout. I think that's um, a lot of us kind of forget about that. And uh, what's the word? Like ignore the, the nutrition part and the recovery part. And it makes a huge, huge difference. And it doesn't take that much. It's just like minor adjustments that you can do to change that. But we kind of fall into the, that, that, uh, you know, rut and pitfall where you're doing the same thing every time and you ignore the recovery and you end up paying for it. Yeah. It's, I mean, the same way that your training has that additive effect where it builds up over time, the, the mistakes, the things that we're missing can do the same thing. They like really add up. And, and when we ignore, you know, the nutrition recovering, they add up. And then all of a sudden, like we're not performing at the, the place we should or want to be. Um, so one of the other things I want to get into is inside out sports. So I think that's like a pretty, pretty cool place, <laughs> but uh, it's also got a pretty interesting story. So how did Inside Out Sports come to be? What was the motivation there? So Inside Out Sports, I, um, when I uh, graduated from UVA in 91, I moved to Raleigh for a, you know, a regular job, not the fake jobs that we all have. Yeah. Sports, <laughs> I guess. But, uh, and I was working for a company that uh, exported automotive and truck parts to Brazil based out of here. And then uh, three years later, they were going to move me. They were going to transfer me to Miami. And I was already dating Kathleen, and I had made really good friends here in, in Raleigh. And we went to Miami, and we spent like a week there. And, I mean, you know, Miami is a great place. It's a great place to live, and it's exciting. 
but it wasn't what we were looking for in terms of um, starting a family and life. And I had already been thinking about it back then. I mean, that's when triathlons were starting to get big. And there were bike shops and there were running shops, but there was really nobody that catered towards triathlons. And I felt like, and, and it, it, it wasn't even that they didn't cater towards triathletes, but it was sort of like that triath triathletes were seen as sort of like the ugly stepchild, I guess, in, in bike shops. And I thought that there was a better way. So a friend of mine in Richmond, he had kind of that concept. It was mostly a running store that carried arrow bars and things like that. And he owned this store called Inside Out Sports. So when I decided to open the store here in Raleigh, I called him just to kind of get some pointers and, uh, <clears throat> and just say, hey, can you help me out? And he was like, yeah, sure. So why don't we do like a franchise deal? I'll help you out. You call it Inside Out Sports. We can share on some of the, the costs, economies of scale of printing stuff and so forth. And, um, and he had a pretty good name recognition back then, at least in the Virginia Richmond area. So I said, sure. So we did that. And then a year later, his business wasn't doing so well. So we, I ended up buying him out and uh, he was, and it was just the right timing for him and for us. So then the name just stuck and, and I kept the logo and I can, and then, you know, kept moving forward. And I think one of the things that I liked about Inside Out Sports was that I, I like the logo for whatever reason. I think it's a, it's a very unique and visible logo. You look at it, if you see the Inside Out Sports logo from far away, you recognize it immediately. At the time, every, every, and then afterwards, triathlon stores started popping up and it was like, try sports, try stuff, try this, try that. And, and every one of them had a, had, a, had a triangle and three little guys. And, and I thought that that was just a little too common and a little too limiting. So that's why I, I think that we stuck with Inside Out Sports and, and, and that's that, you know, and then um, I just, we just, uh, I opened here in 94 in a place called Plaza West, which I, most people don't even know where that is. Yeah. It's, um, it's off of NC State where Jones Franklin, Buck Jones and uh, uh, Western Boulevard and Hillsborough Street join. Yeah. It was at that shopping center. And wow. It was, um, I wanted to be accessible and I wanted to be at a place where I knew that rent was so low that if I didn't sell a whole lot, I could at least make rent. <laughs> so we were there for two years and then moved to uh, Ridgewood Shopping Center. And Ridgewood was probably at the time my number one place where I wanted to be right off the belt line. Yeah. And, and that kind of, that was a great move for us. I think it, it gave us a, a more high profile location, but still with specialty shops. You know, we're not, we never wanted to be the, the big box shop. So I think that the specialty nature uh, kind of combined with, um, with Ridgewood and Wellsprings, or at the, at the time it was Wellsprings, Whole Foods and there. So, and then we had a good run there, but at, at some point we needed more space. In, in the shopping center, they were actually fairly accommodating, but I mean, rental space is expensive. And when we looked at, at what it was gonna cost to, to rent a space, that's when you know the light bulb goes off and you go, man, I can build in a, a space for our own and start building equity on it for the same amount that we're gonna be paying a landlord. Yeah. And that's what we did. And, and it was like after five years, I mean, I, you talk to the landlord and you say, thank you very much. And he was like, yeah, thank you. And you paid a bazillion dollars per year and you have 
nothing to show for. I, yeah. I guess you do at least, but um, but you don't have equity. So that's when we started looking and eventually found a place in Cary. Yeah. So to back up a little, a little bit, um, so I, I should preface this because uh, we have listeners all over the place um, that may not be familiar with Inside Out Sports because we also have just cyclists, just runners. Um, so Inside Out Sports is a triathlon store in Cary, North Carolina with a satellite location or another location in Charlotte. Right. Um, so, you know, doing the swim, bike, run is really the specialty. Um, and I, I think one of the really cool things about Inside Out Sports is it is kind of boutique but it's not exclusive. Um, so we, they, they carry, we carry a lot of um, like the high-end stuff, a lot of cool stuff, but it's also accessible. It's not like elitist. Um, I mean, we're really like encouraging to new athletes. We carry a lot of stuff that can help new athletes get into it as well. Um, and I think that goes back to your mission of like really just connecting people with a sport that you love. Yeah, at the, from the beginning, we never wanted to be, it's, it's, we were, it, elitist and I think it's sometimes it's hard to be a high-end shop with uh, and not get that reputation and and when I mean high-end it doesn't mean that we only carry high-end but you want to have the knowledge you know you want to have you, you got to be able uh, to to walk the walk if you're going to talk the talk right I mean yeah. from the beginning we said we're not going to sell fashion we're going to sell function if we're selling this bike, we're not going to say buy this bike because the blue looks really good, you know, with your tri outfit. So it, it was always about function. It was always about why is this tube like this? Why is this shoe like this? Why is this wetsuit like this? So you want to have the the um, the knowledge and you want to have the, the information and you want to have the expertise, um, but you don't want to be elitist. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to achieve, but it's not if you really think about it. It's the novice to the sport who can benefit from our expertise the most. It's not my friends or my training partners who have been doing it for 15 years or, or the Cat 1 cyclists who can really benefit from, from, from our expertise. They kind of already know what they want or they have already done a lot of the research. So yeah. we've always tried to cater to everybody. It doesn't matter whether, um, it doesn't matter whether you're you know, a nine-hour Ironman guy or a 16-hour Ironman guy. It doesn't make any difference to us. And nobody's going to get, you're not going to get more attention because you're a nine-hour guy than you are a 16-hour guy or whatever, if you're doing sprint triathlons or, or, or Ironmans. And I think that our staff gets that. And it's important for us to make sure that, um, that everybody understands that because sometimes I think people can feel somewhat intimidated about walking into a high-end shop. I mean, that's been, that was one of the things I wanted to change because that's how bike shops have operated for years. You know, the high-end bike shops kind of have this attitude like, Hey, if you're not fast or if you're not riding a, a $5,000 bike, you're not worthy. And, um, and that, well, at least I, you know, I can't speak for others, but that's not who we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's really cool about inside out sports as well is like, if someone's a runner, they can come in just for the running apparel, for the running accessories, for running shoes. And we have people that can really connect with them about the shoes, have those conversations about running, training, all of those things. Or if someone's just a swimmer, they can come in for their swim stuff. Or if someone's just a cyclist, they can come in and get, um, 
access to the expertise, uh, the mechanics, the accessories, like any of those things. Um, so you don't have to be a triathlete. If you're a triathlete, that's great. It's your one-stop shop for everything. But again, like if you do one or just a couple of those other sports, like you can still come in and get access to uh, great equipment, great expertise, all of those things. And we can have those conversations. Right. And because we're not carrying a lot of the other uh, inventory that other stores carry, it allows us to carry deeper into, um, into those three areas. So we're not stocking a whole lot of kids' bikes like most traditional bike shops. We're not stocking a whole lot of mountain bikes. But when it comes to selection of, high end, of um, road bikes, gravel bikes, tri bikes, I mean, I think that if you look around, you're going to see that, that our selection is hard to beat. Same thing with shoes that, uh, I mean, yes, we're, uh, we're carrying bikes as well as shoes that some, some specialty running stores or some box stores aren't. But we're also not carrying basketball hoops and, and soccer cleats and so forth. And, and I've had, you know, my son, my kids played soccer and I had a bunch of friends ask me, why don't you carry, you know, soccer stuff? And I said, because if we start carrying soccer stuff, it's going to detract from what we do best, which is swim, bike, run. So yeah. you keep a narrow, narrower focus and you do well. Yeah. Yeah. Plus then, you know, you carry soccer stuff and you got to carry like volleyball and then hockey. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you are dick sporting goods. <laughs> well, then you're a mini dicks because yeah. it's like you're not really dicks because you're, you don't have the size, but you, <laughs> you're trying to be, I think trying to be what you're not is a mistake. Yeah. And, and for us, I mean, being, we've kept a narrow focus for 35 years and it's worked. Yeah. I mean, I think or that's 25 one of the years, I guess. 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things too, is just like figuring out like your why, like why do you exist? And it's to connect the, the athletes with the sport to, to be there for the triathlete or the runners, cyclists and swimmers, um, and just staying focused on that. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things I really respect too, is like, when you look at our inventory at inside out sports, you know, you may not have the flashiest, newest, whatever brand is hot right now, but I think it's because when we look at, I, I shouldn't say we, because I'm not involved in that, but when you or the purchaser look at possibly bringing in new items, I think one of the, the first questions I hear asked is what does this do that something we already carry doesn't? Yeah, I never believed in the flavor of the month kind of thing. In there, and that sometimes happens in the, in the sporting goods industry is that every year there's like a new brand or every year there's a, a, a new product. And I think you want to you wanna be aware of that. But I, I like to work with companies that I like to work with. So if you look at some of the companies that we carry, I mean, we don't have the revolving door policy. I mean, the bike companies that we carry, we've carried for years. The wetsuit companies that we carry, we've carried for years. And the same thing with running shoes. And yeah, you bring some new products and some new brands here and there. But, um, but over the years, I think, again, the, the loyalty and the partnership and the, um, the relationships have, have worked well. Yeah, and I think that's the other piece where, like, actually, you know, walking the walk, um, really comes in is because, you know, you're trying this equipment, the gear, you know, whatever it is, the shoes. And so you're, you're getting a feel for it. You know, I mean, we're, you're only selling stuff that you truly believe in as opposed to just selling what's like trendy or fun right now. Um, and so like, you know, you've, you've vetted for lack of a better term, all of this equipment, you know, it works. And so, I mean, that's, 
that's like part of the purpose behind it is like, like you said, it's not the flavor of the month. It's the stuff that truly works and you know, lasts, stands up, comes from a good company with like good values, et cetera. Well, yeah. And, and what you said about, you know, us using the product, I mean, you know, as well as I do that everybody who works here uses the product. And, and the cool thing, again, it doesn't mean that everybody is, is riding, you know, 300 miles a week. I mean, some people may be riding a lot less, but they get to experience what it's like. And those are the people that, are, that sometimes are important. It's like they get to experience what it's like to get on a new bike and have the saddle or the seat not feel good. And then, you know, try different saddles and see actually be able to, to relate the benefits that, that you hear about and that you read about to actually how it feels like. So that's, yeah. a, that's an important part of what we do and the people that we work with. And I think that um, everybody who works at Inside Out Sports works here because they want to, not necessarily because it's just a job. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's one of the big things is, is everybody at Inside Out Sports is passionate about it. You know, I mean, they have a love for the sport. They have a love for connecting people with the sport and helping like foster people's enjoyment and entrance into the sport. And so I think that's one of the things that really makes a big difference is it's not just a summer job, you know, it's, it's something people are passionate about and helping other people. So, uh, how has inside out sports kind of evolved and changed over the years? Um, I think that the, um, the mission has stayed the same, but, um, obviously things change and the, the retail environment has changed drastically. I think that for, if I had to say, probably nowadays more than ever, the service component is key. And the service component, that includes everything from, from fitting people in running shoes to the labor, to the service department in, in the bike uh, department, to bike fits and, um, in, in bike sales. Because in even though we we have a presence on on the internet online and we do okay with online sales i mean the reality is that it's it's difficult to compete with amazon even the even some of the bigger retailers in the in the bike industry have a hard time and even some of the bigger retailers in the triathlon industry you know were, were close to were forced to close their doors because they just couldn't compete with amazon so I think the reality is that if somebody is, is looking to buy just a water bottle, you know, you can buy a water bottle from anywhere from, from the comfort of your home. And it's not necessarily going to be from inside out sports. However, if somebody's looking at buying a bike, if somebody's looking at having their bikes repaired, if somebody's looking for advice, if somebody's looking for um, anything that's going to make them make their experience, their cycling or their swimming, biking and running experience better, then they'll come to us. So it's it's the it's the service component because that's much harder to duplicate and it takes a lot of discipline and it takes a lot of hard work. And I think that that's where the future for retailers is going to be. Yeah. So I'm I'm really glad you brought that up. So I mean, how does uh, you know I mean at at its core, like you said, we have an online presence and stuff. But how does Inside Out Sports compete with some of those big retailers? Like what? what is inside out sports having to do differently or what is inherently unique about inside out sports and that small, small business, like brick and mortar. What is unique about that that allows iOS to continue to exist for years to come? 
Uh, finding, you know, finding the right mix of products, having unique uh, products that uh, I think not everybody else is going to have. That's, that's one of the things that we've always done and we continue to do is to partner with brands that want to support the retailers that believe in the uh, in the same mission that believe that that brick and mortar stores and that local stores are important so partnering with those companies are important and then um having like i said having that unique selection so that people can buy those products online if they want to but also offering the service the in-store service to back it up things like um, bike fits for life, for example. Somebody buys a bike from us and they get not only the, the full bike fit when they first buy, but um, they buy, but they can come in 20 other times and get fitted as long as they own that bike. Because we realize that when you first buy the bike, you know, we're telling you, oh yeah, this is how it's supposed to fit. And a lot of our customers who are new to cycling are going, oh, okay, yeah, I guess so but they don't really know, you know, you haven't really put that much time on the bike. It is, it's after two weeks or three weeks that you feel, oh yeah, you know, my lower back is hurting or I feel too extended or this is how I feel. And that's when we can fine tune the fit the best. So, uh, I mean, I think that that's incredibly, incredibly important. And as much as we love cycling, we know that cycling is, it can be a challenging experience for somebody who's novice, you know, the, the seat, the, um, going up hills, the shifting and everything. It's, it's, we take a lot for granted, but, um, but I think that offering that guidance, offering that service, offering that assurance that if, uh, if, if, if you're not happy with your product, you can bring it back and we'll exchange it for you. Offering the uh, one year of um, free adjustments on your bike, knowing that, yeah, you can buy a bike online, but then every time you get service, you're going to have to pay somebody $85 to get something done. Here, you know, you can bring it two, three, four times a year. And we're not only going to do it for free but for the first year, but we're going to accommodate with your schedule. So I think that there's real value in service. And I truly believe that, that, um, that people do want that. I mean, they may, again, on a, if somebody's purchasing a, a $10 water bottle, not as much. But if somebody's buying even a $1,200 bike, I think that that's a fairly significant purchase. And I think that people want that assurance. They want that guidance. And, and if something goes wrong, God forbid, with it, there's a warranty involved. They can bring it back and somebody's going to talk to them and it's going to take it and do the work for them and make sure that they're not left hanging. So, I mean, and if you look at it, I think that's been the real differential, uh, differentiating factor for us the last two or three years, that the areas where we provide bike fit, where we provide surface, service are thriving. You know, the bike fits, the service department, the shoe fits and so forth. And, um, and it's changed because when I opened the, the, the store, it used to be sort of like the common thing that, oh, bike shops make their money on soft goods you know, on selling saddlebags and, and, and water bottles and accessories. And, and that's the, those are the areas that are easiest to, for, I guess, Amazon to, to gobble up. The service is a lot more, it's a lot trickier. Yeah. I, I mean, I would totally agree with that. And I think that's one of the things that people are starting to realize. And even outside of like Inside Out Sports, I mean, with other running stores, like brick and mortar stores, like that's one of the things that people are, are realizing or with bike shops is like, yeah, you can buy the bike online, but like you're not getting 
it built for free. Like if you buy it online, you're going to have to have someone build it unless you are really capable and have the know-how. So there's cost incurred there, but there's also just like having someone involved in the process. Like if you, especially if you're new to it, yeah, you can get a bike cheap online, but if you're new to it, like coming in and buying the bike from inside out sports, you're having someone talk to you about it. Like maybe you're getting lots and lots of like incredibly invaluable advice. Like you cannot put a value on like the advice, the wealth of experience, like those conversations that are going to be had with you about the sport in general. Um, and so I think that's again, and I, I think people are starting to realize that and they're, I think there's been a resurgence in like kind of the shop local movement. Um, and that's, I think that's been really good because I mean, we see it a lot. People are like, well, I can buy these shoes $20 cheaper online. I was like, yeah, but you can't try them on online. A lot of times that's even a myth. You know, we, I remember a few, uh, it was maybe a couple of years ago that I did a, a comparison. I picked out some shoes and, and looked at what the prices were that people could find at Amazon and what the prices were that they would find at a local shop. And even, and if you took the, into consideration the different sales that we run and the, and the, the, um, uh, I guess discounts that we do to different groups. In a lot of cases, we're even cheaper. But there is this misconception that you're always going to buy cheaper online. And uh, and I think that the shop local has really done a good job at highlighting the fact that hey, you know these local businesses they're important and they do a good job. But but then the then the burden is on us, right? I think that we have to make sure that we do do a good job. Yeah. That we do provide the the outstanding service because. I don't want somebody to buy local just because uh, out of pity. You know, I want somebody to buy local because there is true value in, in buying local. And, and I think that as, you know, stores, local stores, they can't take that for granted either. And so service, I mean, as you know, we spend a lot of time. And, you know, the, the one thing, every time that there's a, an issue, what do we say? Put ourselves in the customer shoes. Yeah. And, and let's make sure that we're looking at this, not just as, as the bike shop, but as the customer as well. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's one of the things is, is again, just like being able to put yourself in their shoes, like having been there. But I think, you know, I mean, to your point, like the service and expertise is also like a privilege that people give us. Like, I mean, I think there's like people are extending a hand and, and trying to create trust. And so all it takes is one bad experience to, to lose a customer, you know, like say it's someone that always shops on Amazon. They're like, you know what, I'm gonna buy it local this time. And if they have a really bad experience that may turn them off to, you know, shopping local or shopping at your store. And so, like you said, I mean, sh local stores, brick and mortar places really have to like be focused on like having great service and like making, making that right. Yeah, every experience has to be great. There's no doubt about it. And when, and if something does does go wrong, it's how you deal with that that's going to determine whether the customer come back. I mean, stuff goes wrong once in a while. We all know, but it's how you deal with that situation, how you deal with that customer, uh, whether they're treated fairly, is whether it's going to determine whether they come back or not. Yeah. And I, I would like to think that we've done a pretty good job over the years. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, the expertise again is like an, a really invaluable piece. I, I like to circle back to that because that's such a big thing. I mean, you know, you can, you can buy your shoes online, but you're not going to get someone talking to you about the pros and cons of each shoe or, you know, with bike parts, compatibilities is such a huge thing nowadays because there's so many different standards. So, I mean, you can shop around online, but it's like, it's hard to make sure that you're getting the right part nowadays, even. 
Yeah, think, that's, that's a good point, because think about how much time you and I spend talking about compatibility for things that were, the customer wants to do this, and we spend like two hours trying to figure out if this power meter is going to work and which power meter is right. Yeah. And I think that sometimes customers do take, take our time for granted, um, but it's, it, it's okay. You know, as long as they give us their trust, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get it right, and we'll make sure that they get the right product. Yeah, but, uh, it's, a, it's a lot harder if they don't have somebody like that to go to. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing is like those, those experiences, those interactions are where like our passion for it really shows through. Cause it's, you know, even if it's, you know, I mean, especially right now I'll, I'll point to it, but like there's certain sizes of tubes that are incredibly difficult to get right now. Mm. And so like our passion for just like having people on bikes shows through because we're like getting tubes however we can, or we're getting tubes from other stores or sending people places where they can get them. Um, I I think that's again, where like our passion for it really shows through because like we are doing whatever we can to make sure that people have an enjoyable experience riding their bikes, running, swimming, doing triathlons. Right. And I I think there's one other thing that I would like to highlight as well that I think sometimes uh, I'm not sure if they're taken for granted or not, but that I think local stores play a really important role, which are events and group rides and some of those other things that relate to getting people on bikes and giving them an infrastructure and giving them a community and giving them a, a immediate group to, to connect with. That, um, that sometimes I think that if, if local stores when um, if local stores went away, that I think they would totally be missed because people don't realize, you know, how much money we spend, how much money and effort over the years we spend on events, on putting on events. How many, uh, I think at one point I was serving on the board of like four different races, you know, Kathleen used to go crazy because every night I had a different board meeting and she was like, which one is that again? Oh, this yeah. is a tobacco road marathon. Now, which one is this again? Oh, this is the victory ride. Oh, which one is that again? But it, but it, it is important. It's important because these are great events and, and you want to be part and you want to see them thrive. And I think that uh, sometimes participants don't, don't really see that local bike shops are a true force in making these things happen. And even rides, I mean, just providing a a, a home base for people to ride from. Even now that we're not really doing the group rides, I mean, you still see three or four or five cars parked in a parking lot where they just come and meet and ride from there because you got a good place to ride from. It's a safe place to keep your cars. You know, just some, some little things like that. So I think that, um, that uh, stores I mean, like us, we play an important role in the community, in the cycling community as a whole and not just on the individuals. Because for us, for me, it's always been about, hey, let's make the pie bigger. It's, I'm not gonna fight over a cyclist between us and the other store down the street. You know, we get along with all the stores. In fact, we trade inventory with some of the other stores sometimes. Yeah. Because we want, we're all working towards the same mission. And, and, I, and I hope that, that, that people, when, when they're considering buying products, especially bikes, that they take that into consideration that, hey, if you're not gonna buy it from me, buy it from the track store or from, from cycle surgeon or somebody else who's, who's in the community. Well, track store, I guess maybe not because they're not in the community, <laughs> that example. Yeah, but, um, 
but at least the uh, you know the, the stores that are in the community um, that are like a chain reaction that are actually putting money towards uh, making cycling safer, bigger, better in in the community that we like. Yeah, and I think I think it all circles back to that passion for just like the community. I mean, creating a sense of community, um, being like you said, that home base for rides, runs, any of that. Um, and, and just trying to further the sport. I mean, always trying to grow the sport. And I think that's one of the cool things about inside out. Yeah. So I kind of always like to circle back to this and, you know, kind of gets more into what we talked about a little bit earlier, but to kind of summarize, what are two to three kind of key things that triathletes or endurance athletes could implement to improve their health and performance from your perspective? Oh, um, well, one of, the, one of the things I would say, finding groups or partners to train with are always important. I, I know that, uh, I mean, I look at it, so times like now, right, during this pandemic, it kind of makes you think a little bit because so much has changed. And we don't have the big group rides that we used to anymore, and we don't have the big races that we used to anymore. But, um, but from the beginning, I think when this started and I started riding more and there was like, you know, four of us that were doing most of the group rides together and that four turned into six and it's like the six of us, you know, our little group that has been doing the group rides together. And um, I can't tell how incredibly beneficial that has been during these times when you're sort of like, you know, socially uh, distant from everybody to have that, that, little group that even though we're not doing the the the, the big group rides that we used to it, it's been like so rewarding and it's been almost like a sanity thing to have a group that, that you work out with that you joke with that's going through the same things that you're going with you know that it then maybe maybe keeps life at somewhat it reminds you a little bit of what normal life is so i think things like that have been uh, like having a a, a group that shares your passion is important, whether it's two or three or five or, or one. I think that everybody who has a, who has training partners tend to um, really value that. So I would say that, that, that that's really, really important. Awesome. I mean, the second thing I would say is that uh, it, it, we touched about the variety and don't put yourself in a enclosed box, you know, look outside uh, look slightly outside what you've been doing to see if there's other things that are um, going to be rewarding. And I think to me, gravel riding is one of those. I mean, I, I in, who, five years ago, nobody was talking about gravel riding. But nowadays, I mean, gravel riding is so incredibly refreshing and cool. And there's so many good things about it from uh, the, um, I mean, just from a safety standpoint, I mean, everybody, everybody knows somebody who's been hit by a car when you're riding, right? And when you're doing the majority of your gravel riding, you're doing it in a enclosed environment where no cars are allowed. So you can ride and you can be relaxed and you can be, um, you can really enjoy, I mean, to be able to ride away from cars and in some cases away from people, uh, I think that, um, it's, it's an experience that is hard to describe. It's like, a, it's kind of like I felt like when I first started riding and got on a bike and started racing and was like, man, this is really cool. Yeah. And, you know, and, I, and I got gravel bikes for my daughters and my wife and my son. 
and they experienced the same thing because they were talking about riding and it's like every time you go you think about going on the road you go like oh man you know i gotta go on the road i don't know about this now it's easy you know you get on a greenway you get to homestead and you ride for an hour and you get a great workout so you know don't be afraid to look outside those the norm the the, the swim bike run or the road riding that we do uh, so I think those are, you know, two things that, um, that for sure, they, they've been really important for me. And I think that uh, it keeps me wanting to do this for another 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really great. Um, and I think those are really great takeaway points. I think those are probably my same, like, summary takeaway points are the things you already pointed out. Um, so I, I really appreciate you being on today. I know this is a little bit of a longer episode. So I appreciate all your time. My pleasure. Anytime and uh, best of luck. And I look forward to, uh, to hearing that again. All right. Thanks. Thanks.